This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives and entrepreneurs online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 64. Hello and welcome to this episode, which is coming out to you just a week before publication day for me and for my book, which is also called Hashtag Authentic, just like this podcast. I know I've said lots about it already, so I'm not going to bore you with too many details, but live events are on sale right now across the UK. So if you want to come along and see an episode of this show being recorded live with a guest who is infinitely more interesting than I am, then head to my website, click on the events tab and you'll be able to see them all there or check out the link in the show notes for this episode. Some dates sold out super, super quickly. So if your favorite is already sold out, hop onto my mailing list. We are looking at adding extra dates in other locations or in some repeat locations. So watch this space. And if you're on my mailing list, you'll be the very first to hear. Okay, so on with this week's episode. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, it kind of feels like the world of blogging and social media is going through a bit of an evolution of late. And it's kind of reaching a new stage in maturity and accountability. We're seeing it in loads of areas, in the really necessary conversations happening about representation and race and ability, in updated guidelines about ads and promotional disclosure, and in the world of fashion blogging, in the attempt to hold each other more accountable for the damaging effects that fast fashion is having on the environment, on the makers, and on the communities where this clothing is manufactured. So my guest this week, Erica Davies, has kind of led the charge on that last count amongst the fashion influencers I follow. She's really holding herself more accountable, striving to find ways to blend her love of shopping and of new looks with her sense of duty to the wider cause, while still maintaining a profitable business. We talk about all of these things and more in the following conversation, which we recorded a few months back during a spate of unusual organisation on my part. Here's Erica. Hi, Erica. Welcome to Hashtag Authentic. Hi, how are you? I'm good. It's very nice to have you on here at last. Oh, well, thank you so much for asking me. Honestly, I love your podcast and it's a real honour, so thank you. Well, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yes, so my name is Erica Davis. I am a former fashion editor, so I worked for a variety of newspapers and national magazines for the best part of 20 years, which is kind of giving away my age. Um, And then I started a blog just when I was about to go and have my second child. I've got two children. And it was one of those moments I'd had um, lunch with a PR and she started saying, oh, well, we're doing lots of things with mummy bloggers at the moment. And it was a light bulb moment because I knew that I didn't want to do the mummy blogging thing necessarily, but I did think that I had stuff to talk about and I could talk about my, you know, my career as a, as a fashion editor and all of that sort of stuff and how it related to my new life as a mum of two very tiny children. Mm. Um, And then when I, I, so I started doing that during my maternity leave, I was a bit of a creative outlet, went back to work for a different publication But actually, the Instagram and the well, the blog more than the Instagram, the blog really grew. Um, And I decided my husband was head of news at the Sun at the time, and his job was insane and crazy. And that combined with having two very small children and me working full time just didn't work. So I decided to give it up and to give this a go. And that's when I really started to take my Instagram seriously. And that was really me thinking that my Instagram could become my own kind of magazine. So doing what I was doing for different people, but just for myself. 
And what year was this? So what year was it that you started the blog? So I started the blog seven years ago. Um, and then I started to take my Instagram seriously, probably <laughs> about um, four years ago, I would say, maybe three and a half, four years ago. We left London. So we had been living in South London. My husband left his job and he changed careers. And I left mine, we moved out. And that's when it really started growing. And I really do believe that it's because I didn't have that kind of cool factor of London anymore. You know, I didn't have the cool coffee shops on every corner. And it really was me going back to basics in the sense of, okay, what am I doing with my life? Right, I'm doing up my house. That's my interiors has always been my passion project. And it was a really lovely place to be able to share that with people. And also styling, because it had taken me quite a long time to put myself on the, on my Instagram. Um, I think as a fashion editor, you're always the one behind the camera and you don't mm. really expect that anybody wants to see you. But that's when it really started to grow. And I think people just bought into that. You know, they, they, they saw me and they kind of got who I was. That's really interesting. There's so much in there that I'd love to unpack. But it sounds like you have a real sense that it was for want of an overused word, um, your authenticity, the fact that you were a real person, three-dimensional person living a three-dimensional life that actually gave it the momentum? I think so. I, I think so. And the fact that I've always been very much myself on my Instagram. So I love a chatty caption because that's how I talk in real life, as you will <laughs> discover. <laughs> um, you know, I love chatting to people. I love the fact that you get that immediacy in your in the responses of people. Um, good and bad, you know, there's always conversations to be had, but I feel very lucky that in the main, I get a really lovely, enthusiastic response to things that I post. And I think it's a really important and quite inspiring message that you don't have to be living the glossy London life to make no. it happen because it can feel that way sometimes like, oh, well, I'm not 19 and a size six and living in London. So how on earth can I make a, like a fashion presence? Well, that, that's exactly what I thought. I did have that whole mental dialogue of just thinking, right, I'm 40. I've got two children and I'm a size 12, 14, mainly a 14 these days, <laughs> um, you know, and that's not the norm on Instagram. But actually, who says you have to be the norm? It's great. There's, there's thousands and thousands of people who are my age, my size, my, you know, living the similar life to me. So actually, the, the fact that I could put the whole thing together so my career history as a fashion editor and speak authoritatively about fashion and styling and making it work for people with different shapes and sizes it really feels like I'm I'm still sort of running my own magazine as I said it's it it just feels like a really good place for me to be and I'm really enjoying using Instagram. I find as well a lot of people who kind of have a history in the traditional media really appreciate that about having their own platform that it that it is their own magazine and they kind of have ultimate control I suspect it's because you've always been beholden to like editors or other people making those calls yeah and different people's agendas you know you've quite often as a as a fashion editor on a newspaper for example my ideas would go to my features editor in the morning she would then pass them on to the general editor then it would come back that everyone would have had an opinion in the meantime. And then your idea doesn't necessarily be, still remain your idea. So it's it's really nice that now I can, what I am saying to people is exactly what I want to say. And what I'm putting out there is exactly what I want to, to put out there. 
And kind of the success of it is yours to own as well in a, in a really satisfying way as well. Yeah. And I think that goes back to the, to the responses that you get from people. You know, it's really lovely to get the immediate interaction and just have really nice chat. And I love it when you can see conversations happening between people on your comments. Yeah. <laughs> Because you've made a space then for for people to meet and to have those conversations. And it sounds really cheesy, but it is like it feels like a proper community. It feels like when people get you and they understand what you're trying to say, it's a really special thing. It's also kind of a big responsibility. And I know it's one that you take seriously. Um, Recently, I don't know if everyone listening will have seen it, but there was a Stacey Dooley documentary that went out, wasn't it? What was it called? Oh, it was... um, yeah it was it was about how fast fashion is killing the planet um and it's had I mean for anyone who's watched it it's impossible not to feel the impact of it is really moving um and quite alarming and although it's things that maybe we we had a sense of previously I think it presents it in such a stark way that it it becomes impossible to ignore um and I know that it's had an impact on how you are kind of going forwards with your account yeah, I mean, it was. It was unbelievable. And it's nothing new, I have to say. I think the fact that it was so mainstream, I think probably if we're all being honest, we've all buried our heads in the sand a little bit yeah. about what's been happening. And that, because it was such a mass um, TV show, you know, it went out to so many different people, it was laid bare. And you can't help but ignore it. And I had been trying to start making um, small changes previously to that. So, for example, I had tried to go back to basics a little bit more with my styling. So shopping your wardrobe a bit more and using the clothes that you have in different ways. Um, And that stuff, obviously, I do that all the time. I am not somebody that's and, and I do get sent an awful lot of things and I work with brands So clothes are, you know, something that is in my day to day, but it's how I choose to then show that because you don't need 17 new dresses a week. You know, you don't need to be showing different things all the time. What you need to be doing or what you what I feel like I need to be doing is almost kind of giving people the confidence to try it themselves. Use what you've got. I'm sure you've already got things like that already you know, let's try and and think, give you some ideas and inspiration. And that's really what I've been trying to do. Obviously, the difficulty for me moving forward is that I do work with brands. Yeah, so we should probably explain for anyone who's listening who um, maybe doesn't quite understand how you can monetize something like an Instagram from a fashion blogging perspective. So is most of your income via sponsored partnerships? Yes. So And quite often they're longer term sponsored partnerships. So, for example, I have um, a long term relationship, for want of a better word, with Marks and Spencer. And that feels completely natural to me. Marks and Spencer, as a fashion editor, is a brand that I would it would be a daily conversation with them. You know, what have you got coming up? Can I borrow this? Can we use that for a shoot? What's your you know, what's the latest? um, I don't know trend that you're working on it was a daily conversation I've known the team at MS. I've worked with them on a daily basis for 20 years so for me to do it now myself feels a very natural partnership yeah that is um probably the longest standing partnership I've had and that means that I do an Instagram post every month for them 
And it's the same with other brands. Um, so I would pick and choose, for example, which I get a lot of approaches, but it depends on the project. It depends what they're asking for the project. And now I definitely have certain terms and restrictions within a, a brand that I will not do. So, for example, I won't do head to toe in one look in one brand because that's not how people shop that's not how people buy fashion um and I give myself a bit of a uh, restriction in the number of paid partnerships I do so I would try and do maybe three or four per month so it would work out as one per week which means that there's a lot of organic content and non-sponsored content in the meantime and I've started to do these Sunday styling sessions which take up as as you know you know it, it does take up a lot of time yeah and I'm trying not to push shopping so much so whereas I would do a shopping series for example and use affiliate links which is another revenue stream so I would link to an item and um, I would make a small commission if somebody used that link off the back of clicking through um, and I don't do as many of those now so for example so the Sunday styling sessions don't really make me any money but it's my way of balancing the paid partnerships that I will do. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point. Um, I don't know if you saw, I did a paid partnership with Starbucks just this last yeah. week. Yeah. And it did spark some conversation from people who were saying, I, I know Starbucks is one of those companies that has had an awful lot of negative press yeah. and some people have chosen to completely avoid, which I completely respect, but also I did my due diligence and, and read up and kind of tried to find a balanced picture um and as people who are kind of independent we're doing creative work it's finding ways to make that pay to be able to support your family mm. and still be able to put out the work you do kind of for the for the good of the community so for me kind of it comes down to okay if I take that sponsorship with this company then I'm able to put out more free podcasts that help the small business community and to me that feels like a fair balance I think that's a really excellent phrase it's doing your due diligence it's picking partnerships that resonate it's picking partnerships that are going to make sense to your followers and it's picking partnerships with brands who are trying to do something different or trying to you know make this situation work um I think it's really important and I, I feel very strongly about saying no more than I say yes. yes. Um, and I think now it's about that balance of pushing the new stuff, which I want to do. You know, I love clothes. That's my job. I love fashion. Let's be realistic. People are not going to stop shopping. But it's about the balance of do you know what? This is a great piece. This is a brilliant piece. These are the number of ways that I would show how to wear it. It's also a timeless piece. However, as I did over the weekend, I did a whole shopping series on camel coats because people were asking me for the best camel coats. But I did make the point that you don't need to go. if it's, As long as it's new to you, it doesn't matter where you get it from. You could go to eBay, you could get it on Depop, you could go to secondhand shops, you could go to charity stores. You know, there's always going to be great labels in those places, but it's all about the balance. And as long as I'm putting out things in other places that balance those paid partnerships, then I feel I'm doing my best in terms of my responsibility. I agree. And I think 
it's something that everyone kind of has to find their own line with and it it's not that anyone expects to be immune to criticism like oh we're doing one thing for the community here so you're not allowed to criticize our partnerships there but equally like there was a really nice thing that I heard Brené Brown say recently on a podcast where she talked about um she'd spoken out against the Kavanaugh incidents and and the hearings in the states and she'd had a lot of people come to her Facebook page and really attack her for it and she said like how dare you consume all of this content I've been putting out all the years and all of my vulnerability and then attack me for being who I always told you I was yeah I think that there's a real truth in that you know I don't get much negativity but it's the ones that do come through that really prickle And I had one the other day and it said, hi, Erica, I really love your content or I really love your style, but you're doing way too many sponsored posts. And actually, I hadn't been. I'd done two in in four weeks, which I don't think I don't think is bad at all, considering how much time I'm spending doing the non-content. And I get it. You know, I do understand that for some people it's irritating. But for me, And I'm trying to think about a caption regarding this, but what I don't want to do is sound like I'm being the big I am because that's really never my intention. Mm. But I am a fashion editor. My background is as a fashion editor on magazines. What I feel I am doing now is exactly the same. So the publication may have changed, but my output hasn't. And me and people flicking through a magazine, you're going to come across adverts. You're going to come across things that have been sent to the beauty editor as gifts or samples yes that they are not disclosing as adverts or gifts or paid partnerships but there is always an agenda to the brand sending that to you and I think actually it's up to us now as content creators to show that in a really truthful way and be honest about it so yes I have been sent this yes I understand that there is a desire on behalf of the brand that I feature this and talk about this But actually, I've personally made the decision that if it comes to things like beauty products, which I am sent, I won't share it until I've actually tried it. Um, And if I don't like it, I'm not going to share it. And I make no bones about that. I've never done those hauls or Mm. things, you know, look what's in my P.O. box. I think it's awful. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I always think about people who are watching just going, oh, God, will my life suck? (laughs) I didn't get sent a massive box of beauty products this morning. Um, so it's just about being honest and being transparent and being truthful, but trying to retain your authority as a fashion editor. And that's really where I come back to every time. I think, well, you've held something there that I is a major bugbear of mine. And I think people have limited awareness of just how much of that goes on in kind of conventional media so mm-hmm. like 99% of what you are looking at when you read read a, a glossy magazine is advertorial one way or another because maybe yeah. maybe the cosmetics company buy full page ads but it's on the proviso that their products are always positively reviewed in the columns and that's things like that are so nuanced that there's no pressure for them to be disclosed No. And equally, if you buy four different fashion magazines in any one month, for example, you will notice that there will be overlaps of products. We'll stick to the beauty thing because that's what I'm talking about. But you will find that they will have the exact same new mascara on every single beauty page. That's because those beauty editors have been sent it. It's not because they're doing anything necessarily different. It's probably because those 
beauty companies are paying for adverts and they want some feedback and they want the coverage in the pages. Yeah, and the editor needs to keep them sweet because they are dependent on that advertorial uh, Which revenue. Which is exactly the same as us now. <laughs> we are dependent, our livelihoods are dependent on those paid partnerships, but we are being held to account. And quite rightly, you know, I do completely agree in the transparency of Instagram. But as long I, what I, I sort of resent is the inference that we shouldn't be doing that and we should just be pushing out free content all the time. I agree. And and I wish that people held everyone to the same level of accountability that they hold influencers because it kind of feels like a bit of an imbalance. I agree that it's it's completely right to hold influencers to that level of accountability. And in some ways, influencers are more, it's kind of insidious because you it's more of a recommendation from a friend. So I get yeah. why it's so yeah. important. But it's frustrating when you see, like, my daughter's really into Katy Perry at the moment, sadly. Um, and there is so much overt product placement in every single one of her music videos. Like, you see the close-ups of the logo of things for no other reason. And it's never disclosed as advertorial. And I'm like, this is going out to kids. Yeah. Um, and it frustrates me because I think, actually... The impact of you doing, like, you know, mentioning a mascara you got for free and, and sharing that it's gifted is is so much more, what am I trying to say, is... Yeah, there's, there's a lot, there's going to be a lot more criticism about that than there is about them seeing the same mascara on the pages of a magazine. Absolutely. And I feel like it's yeah. a conversation that needs opening up across the board so that we're all kind of aware of the role that advertising has on our buying decisions. Yeah, yeah. Totally agree. Um, right, I've gone off on a tangent, sorry. <laughs> uh, so, um, and that's why I think it's so important that we have people like yourself who are making independent decisions that possibly the big magazines are not going to be able to make just yet in regards to things like um, sustainable fashion. Yeah, I think so. And, and it's difficult because, as I said earlier, you know, there is a fine line to be trodden here um, because obviously I can't bite the hand that feeds me, but I'm trying to think intelligently about ways that I can stay true to trying to sort of counteract this buy, buy, buy culture that seems to be pervading Instagram. And I have to say, you know, I probably was somebody who was starting to feel very anxious about that. And I'm a person who is working with these brands in order to sell these clothes so if I'm already feeling like that, then how is the average follower feeling about the way that she consumes fashion and feels like she has to stay in, you know, on top of it all? Um, so I think it's just trying to navigate a way that feels comfortable to you, but also to ensure that the brands are represented fairly as well. And I know that I say this from a position of privilege because brands are wanting to work with me at the moment you know who knows what's going to happen in a in a year's time we don't know anything that's going to happen in a year's time but um at the moment that's the situation so I am lucky that I can almost go back and say okay I'd love to work with you on this but this would be my terms these would be my terms and that's kind of the other side of your influence that maybe people aren't necessarily seeing um that term influencer that I know we both hate I know, God, <laughs> I know. but this is it in real action kind of influencing the whole culture of fashion on Instagram so not just influencing people on a one-on-one -on -one level but like opening that conversation up and also yeah. the kind of hidden side of it where you're having those conversations with brands and saying okay well 
like how can I make this fit with the principles I'm trying to stick to yes yeah and so far so good they've been open to it but I think you know after a certain point brands come to you because they appreciate the content that you put out there and they like the way you might write about something um and so it it does it does come from you it does come from you you are able to change the conversation in a certain way because that's what's important to you um and I think that's probably influence that's influence in action rather than me selling a hundred you know a thousand tops in Marks and Spencer or something um and and I have to say also that the, the real the positivity that I get from and the lovely messages that you receive when you hear that people say things like, you know, you've actually changed the way that I view my clothes. I, I feel I've had a baby, my body's changed, but you've given me the confidence to try things. That to me is so much more important than I bought that top that you showed. Um, and I just think that is what I really get a real kick out of. That's the true influence at work, isn't it? If we're going to use that word. Mm, I hope so. Um, to me, it seems like it must have taken quite a bit of courage as well for you to sort of pivot in this direction, because like you say, it is against the norm. It is sort of, there has the potential to alienate some of your sponsors. Did you feel any fear before you kind of made the posts talking about your response to the documentary? No, I didn't, because I am going to do it in my way and I'm going to do it in a way that isn't suddenly shopping solely in secondhand stores or, you know, talking about ethical, sustainable brands to the detriment of anything else. Mm. Because as I said earlier, I'm I'm realistic in the fact that I won't stop shopping in the high street. What I will stop doing is buying random stuff that I know I'll only wear once. And what I'm trying to do more, what I have said is that in the future, if I show something new on stories, I will show how I will get more wear out of that piece, you know, whether it be a couple of ways to wear or repeat wear more often. Um, So it's not a blanket catch all. This is what I'm going to do to the detriment of everything else. It's a few small tweaks that will hopefully make a bigger difference. It's all about nuance, isn't it? And kind of everyone's trying to find the balance and find their own path. And I mean, I have shopped from a lot of these sustainable kind of small fashion brands for the last few years. But I have to say it's been as much a stylistic choice as it has been an environmental choice, if I'm really honest with myself. But it's also like only recently have I been able to really afford to because, of course, they're more expensive. I was going to say that because and that I when I was um, working on the paper and on also magazines, it was all about the cost. It was all about this is really affordable. This is, you know, the super cheap item that everybody needs. The under 20 pounds, you know, I used to do 20 under 20 dresses at Christmas. I mean, I cringe now, (sighs) but that's that is what I used to do. And it used to be all about the cost of things and making it affordable. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm going to buy that on Saturday night. Now I've made a conscious decision that I'm not going to talk about money. It is entirely subjective. What some, what is affordable to one person is not affordable to somebody else. And there is a whole gray area in the middle. You know, some people might not have loads of disposable cash, but they choose to spend less or spend more on less. So I just think it's much more, um, it's much more honest to just say, look, this is what I think. 
and it's up to you. It's entirely subjective, but I'm not going to say this is affordable, this isn't affordable. I'll just keep everything in the mix. So there will be some high street things, there'll be something slightly more mid-range things, there will be some more independent things. It's just going to be a mix. And actually, I think kind of thinking back to the years when I was fairly broke, um, generally, if you're kind of in the lower income bracket, you're quite used to having to hunt out a cheap equivalent of what, mm-hmm. you, what you want anyway. Like I can remember the hours spent on eBay trawling for something that was like the sim- a similar shape to the dress yeah. I really wanted that I couldn't afford. So um, it's kind of a chance to put some of those those skills about reworking clothes and reusing clothes into action. I think we've actually all got quite lazy. I totally hear what you're saying and I would be exactly the same if there was something that I couldn't find or it had sold out I would be straight on eBay I would be tracking it down I'm quite tenacious when it comes to finding things and there is that thrill of the chase element I genuinely think that we've all lost because everything is so bye 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 now 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 um and actually just taking stock and using Instagram as an inspiration just thinking you know what I really love that jumper but I can't afford that but I'm going to go and try and find something similar and I think however you choose to shop it's about creating inspiring content that leads you down whichever path you want to go down. Do you think as well this is mainly just for my own interest actually um the in the kind of smaller more um environmentally conscious and more ethical brands um tend to from my perspective they all seem to sort of share a similar style and it's a style I really like but it's quite different to the high street style is that just the bubble I've put myself in or would you say that that was true um I think there's lots of brands doing very different things I kind of I, I appreciate the aesthetic that you you have and that you're drawn to and I love that too um I don't necessarily think it's something that you can find that easily on the high street there are certain pockets of maybe concessions I can think of a couple in John Lewis for example that are doing a sort of similar vibe um but I think what's lovely is that you are offering people the chance to dress uniquely to dress to create their own personal style which I think is so important otherwise we all become Instagram clones you know there's everybody wearing that particular dress from somewhere or those particular shoes and it does become a little boring um so in order to drive and to give the confidence and to create your own personal style is something that's really important to me because that's what's lovely. It's lovely looking at street style images and seeing how people are putting stuff together that you might already own. You know, it's just thinking outside the box, I guess. That's one of the things I always think about street style images is they are so different to the Justin on the high street uh, head to toe looks that kind of are being pushed in magazines a lot of the time. And even if people think, oh, my God, no, no way would I ever put that together. It might spark something and you might like a colour combination or you might like the way they've tied a belt or you might like the way they've done their hair or put a clip in their hair. You know, there's just you always take something from it. And I think that's what I really enjoy about fashion generally is just that creating personal style that suits your life, suits your budget and suits your kind of aesthetic it's one of those things that is really easily kind of uh denigrated I feel like interiors and fashion 
because I share both of those passions with you, are the two things, especially maybe as Brits, that we're very good at being like it's superficial and it's shallow and it doesn't count. And yet there's so much evidence kind of anecdotally, and I think there's quite a few studies that show both of those things really do impact on like mindset and happiness and satisfaction. Of course. I, I mean, we both work from home and I absolutely, I'm such a home bird and I'm creating a home that makes me feel happy and my family feel happy. Um, and I think, and it's very similar actually to shopping for fashion. I think about interiors in a very similar way as, so putting a room together, I would put in a very similar way to dressing, to putting an outfit together, but you use such a variety of brands and styles to create a room or a design or a you know, a decorating theme. And it really translates to fashion. So if we do it for, you know, our interiors, why shouldn't we do it for our wardrobes too? That's true. And you, no one thinks, okay, well, you know, that living room, I've had that for a month now. It's time no, for a makeover. Exactly. I better change that sofa now. I've had that for a few months. <laughs> um, although I hope no one does. Um, did you have any less positive responses I'm just curious when you kind of talked about how you were planning on mixing up your content no I didn't um I've had a few spiky comments subsequently of you know people saying things like oh you're just encouraging us to dress like a bag lady (laughs) (laughs) which you just have to laugh at and just think oh do you know what if that's what you think that's that's entirely your opinion um but don't follow me just just don't follow me if it's not your bag that's fine. I see. Um, I, that's very generous. To me, I'm like, I want to unpack that psychologically. Why they think that if it's not new, it's like a bag lady. I know. I think they just thought. I know. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Where's it's that really interesting. From? And also, just the fact that they've got such stringent views about how you should be looking anyway. Yeah. There is no. There is no kind of um, line around your own style there there is no kind of allowance for your own personal style or your it's it's so subjective fashion and yet lots of us like the same things but it is also a slight pack mentality often I find and anybody that's trying to do something a little bit different is going to get criticized that's interesting oh just I'd half the negative comments you just think why why would you take the time (laughs) to write that if it really bothers you that much just please don't follow me. So right at the beginning, um, you mentioned that this kind of whole adventure started for you on your maternity leave. Um, yeah. So how old are your children? Uh, my son is eight and my daughter is six. So how do you find juggling all of this? Obviously, you work from home and you're yeah. a mum. Um, how do you find the balance, if there is one, between kind of parenting and fashion and uh creating content well I mean we've probably both got very similar stories it's a constant constant juggling act and you just never feel like you're doing anything particularly well um I have I have the children in in breakfast club on a Thursday so I drop them off and that is my day to go into London so that is the day that I have all my meetings face-to-face meetings I might go to press days um, I might have, you know, a dinner planned with somebody like a PR or um, that's basically that is my work day out of the house. And the rest of the time it is a constant juggle. So I will try and I don't have a specific photographer that I use, for example. So I will quite often have to do it myself or ask a friend Um it's just trying to make it all work. I'm trying very, very hard 
not to chuck my phone as much around the children and just appreciate that actually once upon a time we weren't <laughs> we didn't need to respond to email <laughs> within 30 seconds um, so I might do a little bit when they've gone to bed but I've got you know they're both at school so I get quite a lot done during the day and then I just try as much as possible to spend time with them when they get home from school but you know they're eight and six they don't necessarily want to be sitting down chatting to mum they want to be on the iPads playing Fortnite (laughs) um and I guess it's that thing like you made the change like your children sound like they were a big part of the catalyst for the change in your life yeah they were absolutely um so it's it's trying to remind ourselves to enjoy that and to to know live that change that we've made for ourselves because it's it's easy to get sucked in all is really good she will literally when she wants my attention she comes and takes my phone and like <laughs> hides it she'll just put it under a pillow and she'll be like right money <laughs> you're in the middle of an email yeah and it's like it's I feel like immediately like oh but then I think no this is this is actually what I need someone's taking yeah. control for yeah. me thank you five-year-old you have better you've got a real insight into how my brain works and actually like we've found an equilibrium it, it is really difficult. And I do worry about that because, you know, realistically, when they're teenagers and have their own phones and I'm going on at them about you being on their phones all the time or whatever it is by that point, you know, I, they, they, I don't have a leg to stand on because they have spent their childhood watching me tapping frantically into my, <laughs> into my phone. Um, and I do try and explain regularly if I am on the phone in front of them, I do try and explain that this is my job now. And explain what I'm doing um I've got another friend who's got a huge Instagram account and she's got a a small son like a tiny he's less than he's eight months and she's really good she's already started the process of saying when she picks up her phone I'm just going to do this or I'm just going to email so and so or I'm just going to call so and so and even though you know he's eight months he's not but it's all going in it's all subconsciously and she's she's setting up that for herself now so that in the future it's normalized you know but she's being very open with him about what she's doing who she's calling how long she's going to be on it that's really good and I guess it's a good way to check in with yourself beforehand as well um because then you don't want to lie to your eight-month-old baby so you've got you've got to do what you said you were going to do (laughs) that innocent little face um. (laughs) um and I'm I'm curious, like, does your daughter, well, do both of your children um, have their own fashion sense? Um, my son, no. He will wear whatever's clean. <laughs> and my daughter, yes. Interestingly, she has started, so she's six, she has started to flat lay her outfits for after school. So she will lay them on her bedroom floor. And this is what I'm going to wear later, mummy. <laughs> You've taught her so well. <laughs> I haven't. But interestingly, I, I think she's picked up a lot of stuff, but she puts things together in a really interesting way as well. I think she's definitely got a flair. Um, and I'm I'm intrigued to see how it develops because I'm certainly not a mum who is spending a fortune on designer labels. So, you know, she's going to have to find her own style pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, like, I think those things go in by osmosis, don't they? So like Orla is constantly asking if she can take pictures whenever we go anywhere. And the pictures she takes, I'm like, yeah, that's the picture I would have taken that nice leaf or like an really? interesting door. That's 
interesting. Because it all goes in. And I mean, all that goes to a Steiner school. And one of like the principles of Steiner is your kids are supposed to see you doing what they call handicraft uh, every week. And traditionally, that would be like, I guess, things like embroidery or making. Um, And all that does not see me doing any handicraft. Well, maybe I'll make a read. She sees you creating amazing imagery. That's what I think. Like, what she sees is creativity in action and creativity being used to to build a living for us. Yeah. Um, and the other day she came up to me and she put a crown on my head and said, you're the princess of our destiny. And I don't know where she's got it from. It's probably from My Little Pony or something. But in that moment, I was like, yes, yes, I am. And you are going to be as well. <laughs> oh, so those little moments and you just don't realize what they've picked up. Quite often, Lila will say to me if we're driving somewhere, oh, mummy, mummy, do you want to stop? Because that's a really, that's a really nice door. Or do you want to, insta- do you need to insta that, mummy? <laughs> I reckon there's people listening right now who think this sounds horrific, but it is just another, another way of creativity. And I don't believe in putting these kind of, these labels on it that we're like, oh, well, if it's through a phone, it's bad creativity. But if it's on paper, it's good creativity. It's all just about seeing the world and appreciating visuals and kind of weaving that all together to tell our stories. Exactly. And just to keep them informed, just to let them know, you know, as I say, I'm not on my phone constantly and I'm very, very aware of how much time I do spend on it. But I also really want my children to be aware because I am at home, I want them to be aware that I am providing for our family in just as many ways as daddy. It's just that daddy leaves at 6.30 every morning and gets a train into London. But I am here and I'm still doing the same thing. I'm still bringing money into our family. Um, And it's just that I'm the one that picks them up from school every day. That is so important, especially I think as a woman, because it's a a gender norm that we kind of, we haven't seen in previous generations as much. actually makes me really proud to be a woman now because there are so and I've had so many friends as well recently who who've completed their families you know they don't want any more children but equally they don't want to go back to doing the job that they previously did and they're all looking for new ways to make the family unit work but to give themselves financial independence and also a sense of um, worth in terms of earning ability and producing something or providing something and it's really fascinating that I just think we are seeing this generation of women, i.e. us, who are at-home entrepreneurs, effectively. Yeah, it's so powerful. Like, obviously, there's always been female entrepreneurs, but previously it was like you had to fit into the existing system and that meant a degree of compromise, usually. And this way, it's kind of like we've all gone, OK, that, that system just doesn't work. If you've got kids, it doesn't work. If you've got health problems, it doesn't work. It's not set up for mm. us. So we're going to go over here and make our own system and screw we're you guys. Make, we're going to make this work for ourselves. You know, my, my kids' school doesn't have wraparound childcare. It has breakfast club, but it doesn't have after-school clubs apart from one day a week. So actually, if I worked in London, I would still have that, what am I going to do with my children from three till seven yeah. <laughs> every night? Um, and millions of women do it. And I and my, my own mum did it. You know, my mum was worked. Um, but it's just, it's a very difficult situation that so many of us are facing now. I do think there is a, an element as well, though, that we are all trying to do too many things at once and we're all going to have nervous breakdowns. But, <laughs> but while working, then, you know, let's all try and do it. So, Erica, um, 
if people who have heard you today and want to come and check out all the things that we've been talking about, where can they find you online? So I do have a blog, which is called theedited.com. And I am mainly to be found hanging around on Instagram, which is Erica, E-R-I-C-A underscore Davis. And I'll link to all of those things in the show notes. Do you Twitter? I do. Not very often. I just retweet funny other people's funny tweets. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I'll stick your Twitter in there as well, just in case. Um, And thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you. Sorry. Show notes so for this lovely. episode are at meanola.co.uk forward slash podcast 64. And I'll link to all of Erica's social media as well as my own if you'd like to come and continue the conversation with us. You'll also find links for pre-ordering my book just in case you wanted to. And also those events I mentioned right at the beginning. I want to thank you all, whether you've pre-ordered or not, for all of your support during this whole process of getting the book out into the world. I kind of see us all as a big supportive gang. And I feel so much stronger for knowing that I'm a part of that. I will be back next week with an episode right on the day before publication. So I hope you can join me then and I hope you have an awesome week. Mm